Let me give you a heads up. At the end of today's message, I'm going to ask every one of you a very direct question. And I'm inviting you to answer it with brutal honesty. Now, you only have to answer it to yourself. But I want you to answer it as honestly as you possibly can. I want you to answer it one or two ways. Yes or no. No in-betweens. No, well, kind of or sort of. Well, maybe. No, no. Yes or no. Answer it privately. And then decide what you're going to do. Now, I've made it my life's work the last 35 years of studying people, studying myself and how I think and how I respond and how I react. And so here's the deal. There's four responses to this question that I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask the question and some of you are going to say, I already am. That's, that's what I'm doing. And some of you, you're going to do nothing. The wheels will turn in your head and you'll decide right away. No, not interested. Thirdly, some of you, some of you, you'll be very curious and interested and you'll make an attempt. But once it gets uncomfortable or once it gets inconvenient, you'll quit. But some of you, maybe just a small number of you here this morning, when you answer the question, when you sit through this message, you will think to yourself, I want that. And you'll come to appreciate the beauty of God's design, the wisdom of it, and you'll say, I'm going to pursue that with all the diligence that it takes until I fully embrace its beauty and its blessing in my life. So I wonder which one you'll be. But I'll tell you, I can't do it for you. I can't live your life for you. I can't make your decisions for you. The best I can hope for here this morning is that hopefully I could provide kind of a compelling reason why you might make a certain choice. Make sense? But let me set the stage for the decision you're going to make. Let me begin with telling you a true story. When I was about, I don't know, eight or nine years old, I went to one of my very first and one of the very few Major League Baseball games that I ever went to in my life. I went to a historic Three Rivers Stadium in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm not even sure it exists anymore. But it was a big deal. It was a big deal to spend the day with my dad. It was a big deal because our family didn't really have the means to do that sort of thing very often. So it was a really special kind of experience. 
Pittsburgh was several hours away, so it was a whole day thing. There, there was no overnight in a hotel. We'd be coming back after the game. And this is the era when little boys like me collected baseball cards. And to have the baseball cards of really popular, famous baseball players was a big deal. And one of the cards that I had was one of my favorite Pittsburgh Pirates. His name was Willie Stargell. And so I was going to go to Three Rivers Stadium and watch the Pittsburgh Pirates play. And I was going to get to see Willie Stargell in action. But that wasn't everything. This particular day at Three Rivers Stadium was bat day. It was Willie Stargell bat day. Now, we can't even imagine something like this today, but at, for every kid 12 and under, they gave you an official Little League baseball bat made of wood. It wasn't some plastic replica. This was like a real live baseball bat. So imagine a stadium full of 10,000 baseball bats. This was probably before plastic bottles. And I can still remember as a kid that at one point in the game, the announcer asked everybody to hold their bat up. And there was bats everywhere as far as you could see. And then at one point in the game, everybody started beating those bats on the concrete risers of that stadium. And the place was so loud and so shaken. I'll never forget that experience. And in my little eight-year-old mind, I really believed that Willie Stargell had autographed my bat. That bat, I treasured that bat. That was a big deal to me. You with me? Ten years later, 12 years later, I, I think I was in college at the time. I came home to my house, came through the back door into our kitchen. There's my dad sitting at the kitchen table. And my dad had recently taken up the art of whittling. And I was pretty impressed with what he was working on. He was working on carving out of a piece of wood an interlocking chain, like where the links were still together. And intrigued and interested, I went over to see what he was working on. And then I realized that he was carving that chain out of my Willie Stargell signed baseball bat. And I was, I was crushed. And the, I can still remember the look on my dad's face. He was embarrassed. And he felt awful. Because he just didn't realize the sentimental value that bat played in my life. And by that age, I was good. We got over it. And to this day, I still tease him about that. And we still have that chain. <laughs> now, fast forward almost 50 years. I'm in a text group with four other guys who are some of my closest friends in life. Two of them 
Peter and Lloyd, I grew up with. I've known them since the sixth grade. We were best friends. We were inseparable. We ran around together all through junior high and high school. The other two, Mark and Frank, I met them in college. We all went to the same college. Frank stood up in my wedding. And Mark is like a brother to me. He's like a member of our family. He actually lived at my parents' house in my bedroom at a time when he needed some help to finish school. And for 30-some years now since college, we, we have been fast friends. And I'm not exaggerating. Very few days ever go by that we're not texting each other. And we text jokes and we text funny reels that we find on the internet. And we text about being dads and being husbands. And we text about uh, politics. And we text a lot about our faith. We're all Christians. And our faith is important to us. And we share very openly and honestly about our journey of following Jesus. And those four guys probably know me better than anybody on the planet, my wife included. They know my victories and my defeats. They know my successes and my failures. I'd do anything for those guys. About three weeks ago, we had a thread going. And Peter shared a story about when he was a little boy, he went to see the A's play. And it was cap day. And he got in a free baseball cap. And while they were leaving the stadium, some other kid ran by and stole Peter's hat and he's never seen it again. And then I shared very briefly the story about my Willie Stargell bat that my dad carved into a chain. Didn't think another thing of it. Until last week. I got a package in the mail from eBay. I hadn't ordered anything on eBay. But I opened up and inside I find a 1970s Willie Stargell autographed baseball bat. And with it, a short handwritten note. Because I had been sharing with these guys some of what I've been going through over the last couple of months. And it reads, know that your brothers love you. Lloyd, Mark, Peter, and Frank. Now, I don't know what meant more to me. I don't know if it meant more to me just the thoughtful gesture. Or that they replaced my baseball bat. Or this note. That I'll keep for the rest of my life. Now, listen, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not being melodramatic. I'm not making something up for the moment. 
of the many thoughts that I had in response to that thoughtful gesture. One of the thoughts that I had is something that I've believed for years and something that I've wanted for this church, probably more than anything I've wanted for this church. And it's this. I believe every Christ follower ought to have a handful of very close Christian friends with whom they openly and honestly share their journey of following Jesus. I believe that. The core of my being. One is because I think it was modeled by Jesus. Two, I think because the New Testament clearly teaches its importance. And three, is because I have benefited personally from the involvement of a handful of people in my life who've encouraged and helped me spiritually. Now here's the unfortunate part of that. For far too many Christians, their idea of church is buildings. Their idea of church is like Sunday morning services. Their idea of church is like ministries to children and students and adults. Their idea is, is programs and outreaches and activities and, and congregations and pastors. That's their idea of church. And so for far too many Christians, when their ideals or preferences for church isn't met, it's not the right building, it's not the right ministries, it's not the right programs, it's not the right pastors, then many people make the decision to just pick up and leave and find another one that's more to their preference. And I'll just tell you this. Jesus doesn't understand that. Jesus doesn't understand that because that is nothing at all of what Jesus had in mind when he said, I will build my church. He wasn't thinking buildings and he wasn't thinking services and he wasn't thinking ministries and programs and congregations and pastors. He was thinking of something completely different. Last week, we started the discussion about Jesus's connection to this idea of family. And I just revisit this passage once again. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived to a place where he was and standing outside, they sent someone in to call him, to bring him out to see them. And a crowd was sitting around him and they said to them, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. And Jesus' response is very instructive. He says, well, who are my mother and who really is my brothers? Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him. And he said, here, th these are my mother and my brothers. His idea of family was whoever does God's will. Those are my family. Those are my brothers and my sisters and my mother. This is one of the very first inclinations that we have of Jesus's idea of what the church would be. It would be a group of people who, as a family, endeavored to do God's work and God's will. 
In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, and he says, you Gentiles. Now, he's talking to Jews and Gentiles, and they didn't like each other at all. Talk about coming from opposite ends of the spectrum, different sides of the tracks. But Paul is introducing God's design for the church. And he says, you Gentiles, you're no longer foreigners. You're no longer strangers like the Jews would suggest you are. But you're actually fellow citizens with God's people. You're members of his household, his family. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In him, this whole building, which isn't bricks and mortars, it's a family. And this whole building is joined together and it rises to become the holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling, not of bricks and mortar, but a family, a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So just so, so there's no confusion... In the mind and the heart of Jesus, church, church was about a community of close friends, a family of believers committed to doing what Jesus asked. And in my mind, a family ought to be a whole lot harder to pick up and leave when things aren't going quite like you would prefer. Look at this. It's all through the New Testament. The language of the early church was brothers and sisters and dear friends over and over again. We find this language throughout the scriptures. And then toss in a heaping dose of words like together and unity and one another. And we glean a picture of the early church as a very loving and close-knit spiritual family. I mean, just look in the pages of the New Testament. The word family occurs 21 times. The word sister, 173 times. The word brother, 275 times. Dear friends occurs 33 times. And while a few of those occurrences refer to blood relatives or close relationships, most of them are used to describe a deep spiritual relationship that exists between Christ followers. This is the language of the scriptures for the church. Here's just some more examples. Again, I, I could show you dozens of them. Jesus introduces a whole, new, a whole new way to talk to those who are, to talk about or refer to those who are his followers. I, I love this language. He says in John chapter 15, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that your joy may be, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full and satisfying. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is the change of language. This did not exist in the first century among a rabbi and his disciples. You are my Friends, if you do what I command, 
I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. I've let you know what my business is. Instead, I have called you friends. Jesus introducing the language of friendships to his early disciples who would become the foundation of the church. We see it all through the New Testament. Galatians, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, all people, but especially, especially to those who belong to the what? Family of believers. First Thessalonians, now about your love for one another, we, we don't need to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, language, brothers and sisters, to do more and more of that loving family. First Peter, live as free people. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up to be selfish is essentially what he's addressing. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. First Peter, be alert and sober mind. Your, your enemy, the devil, prowls around looking like a roaring lion, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Philippians chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. The language of the New Testament church. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. John writes, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children, family, are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you're doing for the brothers and sisters. Even though they're strangers to you, you don't know them all, but you treat them, you respond to them, you act like them. You act toward them like they're your brothers or sisters. God never intended the church to be a group of lone rangers. He intended the church to be a group of people surrounded by the tontos of their life who are a part of what they do. The church that Jesus had in mind was a family of friends whose lives were knitted together around a shared faith in Jesus and a commitment to doing his will. That was Jesus's imagination for the church. So we, we have language that we use and we might all have different definitions of how we interpret language like this. But we use words like, well, there are friends, but but they're not my good friends. They're friends. They might be acquaintances. We know we cross paths now and then. I, I usually remember their name, but, but I think of them as friends. But I have good friends. And then I have close friends. And then we have dear friends. And we talk about our best friend. Well, let's, let's be honest about something. 
Can we? And you're like, well, show me what I need to be honest about first. Okay. We can talk about dear friends who know you're a Christian. They know you go to church. You do that Bible thing. You have dear friends who know you are a Christian. You have dear friends who, like you, are Christians. You may have a lot of them. But do you have dear friends who play a part in encouraging your spiritual well-being? Because this and this are different. I'm asking you, do you have friends in your life who are actively, honestly, sincerely a part of your spiritual journey, your spiritual progress? Look at it another way. You, you have friends you play golf with, tennis, pickleball, bunco. What's that other one? Marjan? Something like that? You, you, Marjan? Not Marjan? Shows you what I know, but thank you. Do you play Mahjong? No. But you just know better. I have friends who play. All right? People that you do stuff with. People you, you go to concerts, you go to movies, you go to sports events, you, you go out to the lake. I went the other night to a concert, Kansas, with three really good friends. Guys that I consider my brothers in Christ who go to this church. Uh, you, people that you go to dinner with, you go out to picnics, you, you do barbecue together. People that you, uh, this seems to be really popular. I don't know. I see a lot of it. On, so, uh, people that drink wine together. A lot of women do this. It's, it's just my impression. Uh, let's, let's chase the craft beers all around Texas. I mean, that, and, and coffee. I don't get this. Coffee. Joe. <laughs> Joe makes some of the smelliest, stinkiest coffee I've ever smelled in my life. People that you hang out with, people that you catch up with, people that are willing to help out, they'll listen to you, they'll, they'll, they'll call anytime or they'll, have, they'll say, you can call me anytime. These are, these are friends. But look at the contrast. You can also have friends who discuss following Jesus with you. Friends who, are, who discuss and explore the idea of being a Christian with you. They're friends that you read and study the Bible and you're interested together in obeying it. Friends who pray together for each other. There's friends who serve together with one another. Hey, let's go help. Let's serve side by side and help make a difference in our church or our community, our city. People who worship together with each other and, and they are there for each other. Doesn't matter what's happening in your life. They're there for you. You see, that's different. You know what's really, really great friendship? That. Really, really good friends that you go to see things together with and do things together with and enjoy life together with while also having the permission and the freedom and the comfort level and the honesty to do this together. That. You listening? You listening? That was Jesus' idea of the church.
I'll say it again. Everybody needs a handful of people in their life who are interested in, concerned about, and supportive of your spiritual health and well-being. I have friends. I have Christian friends. But can you say I have Christian friends with whom I openly and honestly share my spiritual journey? Like Mark and Frank and Lloyd and Peter. So we're talking about doing what Jesus did. And Jesus surrounded himself in the company of a few close friends with whom he shared his journey of faith. He modeled it for us. He demonstrated its value. Did he need it? Probably not. But he knew the important design of it to the blessing of his father in his life. And so I think we learned that as disciples, us, endeavoring to live like our rabbi... We too must surround ourselves with a few close friends with whom we share our journey of faith. We have now come to the moment where I'm going to ask the question. Do you have a handful of close friends in your life who actively contribute to your spiritual health and well-being? Yes or no? Now, we can't do that for you, but, but we can help. In Civil Creek, we want to help. We want to at least try to facilitate the connections for people in our church family to find a handful of close friends. Who take an interest in supporting your spiritual journey. And we have two ways that we can facilitate it. We can't accomplish it, but it can at least provide the opportunity. And that is in a life group or a serving team. It's a place. It's a design. It's a way for you to start meeting some people. Getting to know them. With the hopes of watching a relationship grow to become that close-knit handful of people in your life who are interested in your spiritual health and well-being. Does that make sense? All right, let me, let me just be very candid right now. If the extent of your participation at Sybil Creek is limited primarily to attending services on a Sunday morning, our church will never feel like a family. And you will find it almost impossible to develop some very dear friendships with people who become your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's just the way it works. If your experience with us is only Sunday morning, you will develop friendships to the extent of sitting in a row, staring at the back of somebody else's head. And while I'm being candid, if the extent of your participation is watching online, it will be impossible. 
You can't do it. You can't do it no matter how much you might fool yourself into wanting to think that's possible. You want to know a trick? You want to know a trick to developing a great friendship? Get started. I mean, it's the easiest thing in the world. It's like my favorite thing. You ready? This is free. I mean, you're welcome to participate in the offering. We could use the help. But this is free. Well, you ready? It's called breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Invite somebody to go eat. If the early church models anything, they love to get together to eat. Ask someone out for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. As a way to get acquainted with each other in the journey of becoming friends. That's how it works. So I'll leave you with this. This is one of the prayers of Jesus that we have preserved in the Gospels. Jesus prayed this prayer. My my prayer is not just for the disciples who he was praying for at the moment. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Who's that? That's us. And here was his prayer that all of them may be one. That they would be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. There's a powerful witness to oneness. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. It's interesting. He didn't pray that the church would become large. He didn't pray that the church would become popular. What he prayed for is that the church would become one. A family. A close-knit family of brothers and sisters committed to doing God's will. So I'll leave you with this. If Jesus wanted us to be one, like dwelling in complete unity as he describes, but there's no way in the world that we can all be each other's best friends. I mean, when our church went beyond 50 people, that became impossible. So then let's do this. Let's each commit together that we will endeavor to do our part of cultivating a handful of friends with whom we openly and honestly share our journey of following Jesus. You won't know everybody. And we can't certainly all be each other's very best friends. But we can commit to cultivating a handful of friendships. I believe it's God's design. I believe it's to be God's will. And as a follower of Jesus Christ. I invite you into it. Make sense? Some of you. I already am Paul. Some of you have already decided. No way. Some of you, you're eager and you'll try it until it becomes a little inconvenient or uncomfortable. And some of you are saying, I'm not going to quit 
until I enjoy the beauty of God's design for family in my life here at Sibyl Creek. I wonder which one you'll be. Let me ask you to stand together. We got some delicious barbecue waiting for you out there. Hey, don't go out to the far end of the parking lot where they're preparing it. It's all going to be right here available at the end of the sidewalk as you leave these doors. Make sense? Or right outside the doors. Make sense? You'll see a tent. Don't go over there. Somebody's going to get hurt. <laughs> we just don't want you in the flow of traffic. Make sense? If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I'd love to make your acquaintance. Uh, come on up and introduce yourself following the service. Let's pray together. Father, we could try all sorts of gymnastics of trying to wiggle our way out of this design that you have made abundantly clear both in the life of your son, Jesus, and in the life of the early church. And your word to us clearly instructs that we are to be a group of people who know each other as brothers and sisters and dear friends. So, Father, I ask that as each person in this room does honest homework in answer to that question, that your spirit will lead and guide and that they won't quit until they've come to enjoy the beauty and the benefits of your design in their life. I pray and ask in Christ's name. Amen. All right, everybody, have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.